Well, good morning. My name is Mike Elmer. If you're newer to our church family, you know I'm standing in for our head pastor. And I just want to go on the record that I'm super thankful to him for taking that whole passage about Christ ascending into hell. And he also gave me this Sunday, which is Fallback Sunday. I mean, feeling really blessed. So if you would, let's open the scripture this morning. There are some pew Bibles as well to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. Everyone's looking at their watch, so we're going to move a little bit quickly this morning. Um, but first, I want to just remind us where we've been, because ch- the beginning of chapter 4 starts a new section in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, and it's important that we remember what he has taught us. And let's just remember what we've been dwelling with with recently in the book of Ephesians. We've learned we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, that God chose us for adoption, that in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, that we have obtained an inheritance in Jesus. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. God made us alive together with Christ, even though we were dead in our sins. God seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. Christ is our peace and has made one people out of Jews and Gentiles. That we are growing into a holy temple in the Lord. That we are being strengthened with power in the inner man. That we are being filled up to all the fullness of God. All these things Paul has been laying out. This is like a new world that we're living in. This is a new life. And so now Paul gets to the second part of his letter, and he's basically putting before us, how do we live now in this new world, in this new life? And the first uh, part that we're going to look at today really talks about unity in the church. This is a, a quality of our fellowship in the church, and is a big part of how we live in this new reality. And I think... We could all say in this day and age, unity is something pretty remarkable. That really would be something that would look like a new reality. That really would be something that would look like something truly different in the world. But I have this question for us today as we get started. Do we desire unity? Do we really desire it enough to do what we're called to do? In this passage, we're going to see that unity is one of the implications of our calling, that we have been called into this new reality. We're called to be together the body of Christ, and this unity is something that we should strive for. We're also going to find that unity is grounded in who God is and what he's doing, that it ultimately doesn't depend on us, but we are called to maintain something God has already started. As I started to think about this unity in the body, I was reminded of a time when I was at seminary, and there were some things going on at the seminary at the time, it was a difficult time, and one of the administrators uh, had been making some decisions, some hard decisions that were, were needed at the time, and there was another, pers- another very significant person in that community that had some questions about some of those decisions, and actually wrote an open letter questioning what the administration was doing at the time. And it was contentious, to say the least. And I I remember one Sunday, 
my wife and I went to church uh, very near to the seminary where a lot of admin and professors and other people went, and I saw both those men in the, in the sanctuary. I saw them both praising God. I saw them both worshiping together. And I pulled one of them aside later, and I said, this is, to me, is a picture of the body of Christ. We disagree. Sometimes even ferociously, we, we wrestle with certain issues. We try to figure things out, and maybe we disagree really down to the core, but at the end of the day, we worship together. So I want us to think about this unity as the body of Christ today together. We're going to take this scripture in two parts, verses 1 through 3 and then 4 through 6 as we look at it. Let's read this together this morning. Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul, really, this, this whole section hinges on that first sentence that he says. He urges us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. And the first thing he's going to do is, is he's going to tell us what that looks like. The first thing he says, with humility and gentleness. And if we want to know what does that really look like, all we have to do is look to Christ. You know, that word humility... For the Greeks, this was always used in the context of servility. It was never a positive thing. It was always applied to someone who was uh, considered less than and, and just a servant status, someone who was meant to do a task, and that was it. And it's remarkable that I think all of us would agree humility is actually something worth striving for. It's, something, it's, it's a virtue. It's something that we appreciate when we experience it. But I want to put forward, I don't think that would be the case if it weren't for Jesus and his example. The word gentleness, with all humility and gentleness, gentleness is not just meekness or softness or, or some sort of weakness, but actually gentleness in this context, this word means to evoke strength under self-control. It's meant to show power that is controlled and in, uh, caring toward its object. So both of these things together, when we think about humility and gentleness, we're really putting forward an image of Christ. Christ who had all power but submitted to the Father's will. Christ who was willing to humble himself in obedience even to the point of death. Paul goes on with patience, bearing with one another in love. That word patience is really a combination of the, the word anger and a long time. And I think if we, you may remember in the Old Testament, hearing of God as long-suffering, slow to anger. You know, I don't know if uh, for any parents in the room, um, this really hits me right at the heart. I mean, there are just a lot of things that happen that evoke this feeling within me. And I have to, I've had to learn, I'm still learning, how do I slow down? How do I calm that emotion in my response? But also this idea of bearing with one another in love. I want to make a confession this morning. 
I'm a bit of a coffee snob. Um, it's unfortunate, actually. But thank you. Yeah. So I was asking, I asked Esther, I was like, what's a time, because I know it's happened many times, I was like, what's a time where I went way out of my way to get good coffee? And she could immediately come up with an example. So we're at some hotel in St. Augustine, and they have like the little kit in the room, but I was like, eh, I don't think so. So find on Google Maps some coffee shop way down the way. Early in the morning, I find myself stumbling down the road, probably somewhat dangerously, find Kookaburra Cafe, go in there, and they have glorious smelling things all around. <laughs> and I just realized, I thought about, man, I'm willing to bear with things when I really want to. I'm willing to bear with a lot of inconvenience. I'm willing to bear with a lot of things that aren't really what I would love to do in the morning, stumble down a road, but if I want to, I'm willing to do it. And it strikes me that if we really want to, we could bear with one another. If we really saw it as something worth doing, we could bear with one another. And, and I, I admit that uh, at times that's, that's not easy. I started to think about what are some times when I knew I just had to bear with something. And I thought of when I was a kid, I had uh, grandparents that lived in Columbia, South Carolina, Grandpa Jack. And Grandpa Jack lived on this block, and he had friends up and down and around the block, everywhere. And uh, he, one of his favorite things to do would be to take a walk around the block with his grandsons. And what that meant was I was going to stand around and listen to adult conversation. I had no idea what it meant. And me and my brother would just stand there. And I think my Grandpa Jack loved to show off his two grandsons, or I don't know. But... You know, I, I realized, looking back, I just had to kind of bear with that. It was not fun. They were talking about things that really didn't have anything to do with me. I would have rather thrown a ball or anything else. But over time, I started to see that that actually was kind of meaningful. I had a chance to be with my grandfather in that way. But maybe, maybe for you, there's things that are bothersome. Maybe there are things that we do have to bear with one another. You know, these things... We don't have to bear with things that we like. So Paul's telling us in those moments, we do need to do the right thing. We need to bear with one another, but we have to want to, or we're just not going to. So Paul comes to the close of these three verses. He talks about eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. This eager eagerness is like doing one's best. It's like making every effort. It's like really putting your heart into it. It's, it's doing all that you can. Paul uses this word also when he talks about taking, making a long journey, which for us is a lot easier. In those days, it would require all of your strength and effort to be able to do it. When I was, when I was thinking about this uh, particular uh, part, one of the things that uh, became obvious as I read some different commentators and, and looked into this. The scripture here says, maintain the unity of the Spirit. The unity of the body of Christ is not something we create. It's not something we develop. It's not something that originates with us. In fact, it originates with the Holy Spirit of God. 
We have one faith and one God. We have one Holy Spirit guiding us. The Holy Spirit is the one who establishes unity. And we're called to maintain it, to continue it, to be a part of it. I asked my oldest son if he had an example that I could give for, for what this looks like. He's, he's recently started to row crew. And it occurs to me that there's a significant amount of unity that must occur between the eight guys in that boat and their coxswain as they're trying to row uh, this shell down the river and win a race. And he was happy to oblige. He actually lit up and he's like, Dad, here's the thing. That boat has to be set. I was like, what does that mean? He's using all this vocabulary. I don't understand it all. I still don't really know. what. He's like, Dad, you have to tap down. I'm like, okay, just simplify it for me. The boat has to be level. That's what it has to be. Or that it's not going to go very fast. It's not going to really go anywhere. And so he's telling me that the boat in the water needs to stay level. And so all the guys have to keep their oars at the same level. They have to do their job. They have to be uh, in sync together. And so as the boat's in the water on its own, it's going to start out level, but they have to maintain it. The same is true for us. And the Holy Spirit, the unity that he's given to us, Paul tells us, maintain that unity. So let's look at verses 4 through 6 as Paul tells us where this unity is grounded. He gives us this exhortation, and then he tells us where this is grounded. Chapter 4, or uh, verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. If you're counting, there's seven ones in those three verses. And so some people think this might have been an early oral tradition from the church as they talked about the oneness of the body. So we have one body. We've already seen that in Jesus Christ. Jew and Gentile have been united into one people. There's one Holy Spirit, one hope in God, which is the, the resurrection, the redemption of our bodies. One Lord who is Jesus, the head of the church. One faith, because faith always points to the one in whom it trusts, who is God. One baptism. Since the earliest of time, the church has baptized in the name of the Trinity. And you can see also in, this past, in these three verses, we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God and Father of all. We have one Father. This is where our unity is found. But I want to talk for just a moment, and we're going to wrap up here in just a second, about this tension that's in this text. Because we're seeing unity originates in the Holy Spirit. It's grounded in the fact that the triune God has recreated the world. He has redeemed the world. He has made a new life, and we're just to walk in it. But Paul still says, I urge you, walk in this manner. Be eager, make every effort to maintain the unity. So which is it? Is it God's work? Or is it something that we're to do? And as I thought about this, I realized, what is it that we contribute? And what I really think is, I think we contribute the desire. I think we contribute the desire. You see, if we want 
to be faithful, to walk in a manner worthy of God. God will supply what we need. He will give us the strength. He will even change our hearts. If you're here today and you, you're thinking, man, I, you know, these are, I, I don't see if I could ever really live that way, or I'm not sure I could kind of fake it until I make it, or I'm not sure if I could ever really do that. All you need is the desire to pray to God and say, God, give me greater desire. Give me the will. Give me the strength. Give me the patience. Give me what I need. Humility, gentleness. He will do that for you. What we contribute is the desire. And desire, as I thought about it further, really drives us to prayer. It drives us to dependency on God. You know, Christ in his life submitted to his Father and was often in prayer. Very often. In fact, uh, I read something recently by Andrew Murray where he talked about all the things that Jesus did that came from a place of prayer. And I want to just read them for you real quickly as we think about this. And then we'll look at how to apply this to our lives for just a moment. At Jesus' baptism, he had prayed before the Holy Spirit came upon him. In the spirit and in prayer, he went into the wilderness and overcame the devil. When Jesus was exhausted from healing and delivering people, he went to pray to be renewed. When he was, uh, when he, before he called the disciples, he prayed. Before Peter's confession of the Christ, Jesus was praying. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus was praying when he was transfigured. Jesus gave the Lord's Prayer after praying. The Holy Spirit came to earth because of Jesus' prayers. The power for Jesus to go to the cross came after he prayed at Gethsemane. So what part is ours? Our part is the desire. It drives us to prayer and dependency. And if we're willing to do that, if we're willing to even just desire the desire, God will supply it. So, as we think about this passage this morning, and we go out these doors and we're going to encounter times that could lead to disunity, that could lead to discord. We're going to encounter things we must bear with one another in. My hope is that we would desire something better. And we could show the world what unity is like. My hope is that we would recognize, one, we're called to unity. We are called to be a part of the body of Christ. And one of the implications of that is that we are unified. And I think if we are to maintain unity, it's going to take forgiveness for one another. It's going to take prayer for one another. And so my encouragement to you today is, is there someone? Is there someone that you need to forgive? Is there someone you need to go back to? and apologize to? Is there someone that you need to make it right with them? Maybe there's someone else also that you, you just need to continue to bear with and ask God to help you and give you the strength in that. If someone's coming to mind, my prayer is that you wouldn't let the day go by. You wouldn't let disunity continue, but you would seek unity in the body. You would seek fellowship, restored fellowship, forgiveness, and love. Paul says, let's bear with one another in love. That's really the hope that we have, that Christ's love in us would bring unity to the body. Let me pray for us this morning.
Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you have called us to be the church, to be the body of Christ. And Lord, we look around and we see that disunity is very common. That really wherever people organize and are together, the the opportunity for disunity is, is always present, and it often happens. But Lord, you have called us to something else, and you originate, you start the unity of the body because you are one God, the triune God. And so, Lord, I pray as we go out these doors, Lord, we would desire to see unity among us. Lord, what a beautiful thing that we could live in harmony and in love with one another. We could bear with one another. We could be an example to the world of what unity looks like. I pray it would be so, Lord, not because we force it or we fake it or we just keep trying, but, Lord, that we would truly desire it and look to you and depend on you that you would bring unity for us. We thank you for these things, Lord. We praise you this morning in Jesus' name. We're going to continue our worship this morning with the giving of tithes and offerings. If the ushers could come forward. take up our offering this morning I just thought we'd sing this song over each other this is not a song to the Lord this is a, a blessing that we're going to sing over each other's lives let's look at each other as we sing it this morning the Lord bless you and keep you make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Let's sing that again. The Lord bless you. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. As we go this morning, indeed, may the Lord bless you and give you peace and may his love in us. Unite us together, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.